This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Hi everybody, welcome to Bumping Into. I am Francis Populin. On this episode, I am talking to Richard Boris. Richard is the person or part of the team that purchased JB Hi-Fi back in 1983 to grow it into what is, I suppose you could say, we recognise as JB Hi-Fi today. Previously, JB Hi-Fi was owned by John Barberto, who started it in 1974 with one store. Richard and two of his friends or business partners purchased the business in 1983 and grew the stores from the one store that was original to 10 stores before then selling it and floating it. Which then leads us to the JB Hi-Fi that we know today. So this is Richard's story about how that all came about, uh, steps along the way, the processes, the challenges, and then life after selling the JB Hi-Fi business. Um, Now, I do unfortunately have to say that the audio quality of this is not great. So it is going to be hard to stick with. Um, We had uh, some serious phone issues where with where Richard was that really, really impacted the quality of this conversation. Now, it does come good uh, probably through halfway onwards. So if you can stick with it, there's a great story behind it. There's some great information, great advice, bits and pieces that you will get from this fascinating story about JB Hi-Fi as a business. But it is going to be hard to stick with at the start because it is very, very notchy um, and your typical mobile phone low-range cutoffs, I guess you could say. Stick with it if you can, and I'll catch you on the other side. Francis. G'day, Richard. How are you going? Good, thank you. Are you free? Are you right to talk? Yep. Um, oh, great, great. Richard, what I want to do is I want to go back in time before the JB Hi-Fi purchase. I want to go to what you were doing in the, the years leading up to before that happened because um, what was it? It was 1983. So, so if we go back in time before then, what were you doing before you were in that position to, to purchase JB? Well, starting in the early days, I uh, worked for Noble Oil. I applied for an overseas position in Papua New Guinea. I lucky to get that. So my wife, Alison, and myself went to New Guinea in 1972. We had to bring our marriage forward. Mabel only wanted married men, and uh, it wasn't a problem. She, she cried for a couple of, couple of weeks. <laughs> the house we were supposed to have wasn't finished, and we were stuck in the motel. I worked for Mabel in New Guinea for three years. During that time... My hobby became hi-fi equipment. A company called Sensui in Japan made very good quality equipment. And I bought up as much Sensui as I could afford. And we came back to Australia in 1975. And my parents had a catering business uh, at Teachers College in Auburn. And uh, I went into business with them, with my parents, and I hated it. I absolutely hated the food industry. It just didn't suit me. Right. 
And there's a, a little hi-fi store called Sound Air Hi-Fi in Caulfield. And it wasn't run properly. And the boats who had it said, put into receivership. And I thought, well, here's my chance. So I went to the official receiver and he wanted $200 for the sound their name and a glass counter in the shop. And I had no lease on the shop. I was just more or less rotting there. But I used my own hi-fi equipment and I got, a, got an account with Rank Industries who uh, distributed them too. Right, okay. So I was a one-man item for a while, but couldn't do a lot of sales because it's too limited. It's just one person in the store. Yeah. So I'm friendly with another guy who was a service technician, and his name's Rod. And David and I, I'll be the thing of very good. do the reason. And that was all right for a while. We bought JB Hoffa from John Babuto in 1983. John had had enough. He said, Richard, get the rocks. And he talked me into buying something real or. He had been operating out of the house in East Keelor and people and people came from Rosebud, Mornington, way out places to come and buy stuff off Chabby Hi-Fi. So, not, so 1983, you, you purchased the, the store, um, the name, I suppose, you know, which now has become quite an iconic Australian business name. Um, mm. You then you grow it into a chain of ten stores. So, at that time, that was during the eighties, you would have been competing directly with Brushes. Yes, we were. And how how hard was that? I mean, Brushes were a monster, you know, national retailer at that time. Yeah, it was pretty easy to be honest. Um, they had such a high cost structure. Shared out and having to sell at a higher price. We would just undercut their prices. Oh. And uh, so they tried making it, but it wasn't good enough. People still expected to get a better discount just for a Russian offer. Yep. So we probably did it for maybe two years. And uh, we turned up when interested. Do do you um do you think, I mean, was the is it that the timing was right? You know, when when JB Hi-Fi was you know the I suppose the mid eighties, CDs had just come on the scene. Um, Hi-Fi had really probably done a big boom. You know, because of the CD player, speakers had become much smaller than the big you know floor boxes to the bookshelf speakers now became you know, um, decent. Do you think it was a combination? And music was also very popular at that time too. Yeah, music was a, a big thing. Yeah, even if you look at TV shows, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday always used to have music guests on. It was a big part of our lives. Do you think it was a, all those things were combining to just basically be the petrol on the fire of growth? Yeah, 
Yeah, and and I do remember that association with JB, even as a as a you know a young kid uh, growing up in Melbourne. It was that um, Brashes was the more expensive and probably didn't have the extensive range for the enthusiasts, uh, where JB tend to have the more bigger range, touching on higher end product, and it was expected that you were going to get it at a cheaper price. That's right. And we've had the hardware too, the electronics, CD players and amplifiers and tuners. We had a bigger range than them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, even the CDs, I think, um, you know, you guys probably were a bit more broad. Brushes probably would have been very top 40 focused where you guys had a bigger selection. Yeah, we had fantastic back catalogue. You, you survived, you know, JB survived the recession, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, when all the businesses, including Brushes, which didn't survive really uh, that that time, um, was that at all a concern at that point in time? Was it ever, a, you know, any hairy moments during the, the Australian recession of the 90s? Well, I personally was affected by I've done what all the people tell you to do. When the house next door comes up, you should buy it. So I did that. In nineteen eighty nine I bought the house worth a couple of million dollars. And I had didn't have really enough funds to to support it, so I had to sell it. Right. So I sold it but it was my fault and yeah. It cost me dearly because when I, when I bought it, the interest rates was about 16%. You're just brutal. When I sold it, the rates were down. So, Eden, if you, if you look at the, um, I suppose, you know, your period of ownership saw massive growth. Um, I, mean, I think I've got here, so if we look at roughly, so say from 83, you... You know, you then sold it, uh, what, 2000? 2003. Okay. So then it was turning over, if, if my internet research is anything to go by, so you were turning over $150 million back then when you sold it. Now, just prior to that, um, so Brushes went public in 95, went into administration in 99. So right. as, as they were going down, you were kicking goals. Um, and then... Once you sold it, it was floated onto the ASX, and and then obviously it's just got massive, huge growth. Now we've got three hundred and twenty stores that's turning over nine billion, a, you know, a year. Um, they own other white goods stores. Do you think that there would have been any other way for for you know the the team yourselves that when you bought that business could that level of growth been achieved without it going public or there was that's just what has to happen to, you know, virtually take over the whole country. I think it had to happen that way because us being just private individuals, we can only borrow so much from banks. Yeah. Yep. And we, we had to put our houses on the line. And we, were, we were getting quite comfortable while things were running. 
Using brushes again. Uh, in public. Before we did. Yeah. And I had horrible structure. Yeah, well, it's that, see, that's an interesting thing because I'm in the middle of reading uh, Jeffrey Brush's book um, <clears throat> and I, I haven't finished it yet, but he, he does, I suppose, he, he's quite unhappy with the direction that Brush's took once it was taken away from family control. Um, yeah. And, he, you know, he's got a lot of issues. He, he you know, says bad management, bad decisions, bad culture, uh, unhappy staff and this and this and that. Um, but... It, it it does seem that, you know, here is a success story where the business was taken over by, you know, um, an equity firm and then it listed publicly and it's continually gotten bigger and bigger. I mean, while we might not see into any of these issues of, uh, that are happening to, to do that, but on the facade, um, it, there is that line, brushes went one way and JB sort of went the other. So they've, they've definitely yeah. been a successful case of... Big corporate takeover. Yeah, and there was quite a few small issues came up. Um, and, and, and the hardware side, we had some good brands at yeah. TAC and Akai and Pioneer and Tashi. We, we couldn't get the very big ones with Sony. They, they wouldn't supply us because really? pressure from brushes. Wow, it's illegal for what they did. That's uh, but we, we can never prove it. Yeah, that's no, the typical um, the typical games at the big end of town, isn't it? Where they look after the the mates of mates. Um, but I mean, you know, you guys, I had an association that uh, JB was always a very big um, with the Pioneer brand, which at the time was was seen as a, yeah. a, a higher end. Pioneer was that main brand. Very good, very good. Reasonable price. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly how I always viewed it as well. Um, mm. Did you ever, at that point in time, did you ever come across uh, any of the Brashes family? Was there ever any interactions with them? No, I never met them. We, we knew Conrad Connolly, one of the directors. Great guy, actually. But the Brashes family. Have, have had or have property down in Portsea, all in a place. Uh, they might have had to sell it, but I couldn't bring there. So, do you ever regret selling it? Was there ever a regret that you wish you had kept kept the direct hands-on involvement? Yeah, I don't really think about it much. Once you once you sell something, it was interesting a bit. Yeah. Um, no, was when, when you were running, is, it, is there is there a point in time where you were thinking to yourself, um, "Oh, this is it. We've made it." You know, your lifestyle had changed. You everything was okay. You had plenty of money in the bank. You had everything that you wanted. Every, times were good. It, was there where this can just keep going, or did that sort of come after you had had sold it and stepped away? I went to the um, We went on holidays and I had a heart attack. Oh, wow. I was in train And uh, it was very minor. 
no real damage. But it can be worrying where we're going with this thing. Because I mean, that's obviously the stress that you know, running a big business, high turnover, high volume of staff. There's always going to be your time is going to be very thin, uh, and you're always on. It's it's hard to ever not be on when it's uh, you know, in essence, your name is on the door. You're the one signing the checks, keeping the wheels turning. Um, how many staff we had? I think from memory, we had about 350 wow. employees. That's a lot. But Is, do you think it was the the stress of being in business that brings on those sort of things? Well, the heart attack part. Yeah. Well, we had we had two things going. I was building a big house, and. Uh, Trying to sell a big house. And, uh, I think it was in 1986. I don't even remember the date. Lucky it wasn't a big one. Lucky you, you know, you'd live to fight another day and yeah. and learn from it a bit. Yeah, well, I think the time for I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. And yeah, and that's that, that's hard, isn't it? In any business, small business, big business, there's that mm. balance, isn't it? And it's hard to. And I, I don't know if you were the same. I find that even when you you go home, your mind is still racing about what you didn't get done and what you've got to get done. Mm. And it's so hard to drag yourself to you know, to the environment that you would rather be in because your you, yeah. your mind is constantly just racing away trying to solve. Uh, the the next day's problems before they turn up, and and as I'm sure you you know you know too like how fast it goes you know when you, you time just flies and the busier you are at work and the more that's happening, yeah. um, while it it it's only when you look back you go geez where did that year go where did the next one go what what have yeah. I got to show for the last two years of tearing my hair out and being stressed out and not getting home until X o'clock at night when David and I were running the business. Original, original store. We, we had to open at nine and close at nine. Oh, so wow. It's a long day. Jeez, and back then, yeah. that was the hours. I know now everyone's pushed hours out, but back then, that would have yeah. been a big, big thing for those sort of operating hours. Yeah. The only thing, we, we didn't we didn't trade on Sunday at, at that time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that as a, as a kid, all the shops used to be closed on a Sunday. So. But uh, that those days are gone now, isn't it? Now it's uh, it's yeah. yeah. So, so at least you've got one day now. to yourself. That's right. But yeah, it's hard. That one day we'd, we'd probably probably lie in bed Yeah, you're just knackered. Yeah, and the thing yeah. is, I I you know I've asked people this question and I've even thought about it myself, and and, and not that. Uh, if you look at any scale, even even small business, you know the one guy working for himself that has to put all the hats on, come home and do the quotes and do the the bookkeeping and do this and do that. To the guy like yourself that grew massive big company, truckload of staff, huge turnover, new problems every day. You, you go well. I can't see any other way that you can do it without donating that amount of time to it. It just 
it just can't. You can't. There's no. Yeah, there yeah. has to be that trade off. Yeah, you've got you've got to put the effort in. It's got to be hundred percent. What did you want to talk about the last couple of years um, of what you're up to now? Got into investing, in the share market, and in commercial property. So we bought quite a few different things. We we owned some of the TV stores, the freeholds, so we, we retained some of them oh, and we sold some of them. Basically, Joe had grown out of outside the store. I forget how many screen meters we go for, but five or six hundred. And uh, we're probably talking at closer to a thousand screen meters because we've got Walkers. And uh, I just needed more space. And you still you still have an interest in the hi fi um, market as well, don't you? We do. We're, we're a small importing company which brings in some specialised hi fi equipment and home theatre. And a big supporter of Sony projectors and Sony flat screen TVs. Oh, so it's still, it's still a passion. Son, Jeremy. So he's, he's got a small team of about 14 people. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's doing quite well. Hmm. Yeah, so it's still, obviously, you still still have a passion for the industry. You still very much love the hi-fi sector. Well, as I said earlier, when we lived in New Guinea, Became a hobby, and it's become a hobby again. I've got pretty serious equipment at home, and I, I just love playing with it. Um, yeah, what a, what a perfect story that is for for someone that you know was in their hobby, their passion, and ended up building a, a massive business. Um, sold it. It's continued to become a massive success. It's uh, it, it's a, a perfect scenario, really, isn't it? It is. Um, the timing was just all right. Um, when we sold into the year 2000, the economy was really coming along and it was ideal time to set up new stores. And um, you, um, I think I asked you this before, is do you think that that what you did, a group of young guys today could do again in in the current market, or do you think those days are gone? I honestly think they could do it in this, in this market. Because yeah. if you if you look at you know in the last ten years we've we've lost uh, Retrovision, we've lost um, Chandler's, we've lost well more than ten years now talking about them, but. Um, a lot of the yeah, music and white goods stores either got bought out or, or pushed out, um, and they all cry that there's no margin on the product. Um, but you know, it's uh, it, you know, I suppose it would be nice to think that uh, a couple of guys with a passion in something could could create another big empire like JB Hi-Fi. Yeah. But it, it's the right time, right place. A lot of it, isn't it? It's just got to be that. Stars lining up and the the right market conditions and it's on trend and it can all happen. Yeah, you're, you're pretty right there. 
that made you think, yeah, rather than doing it yourself from scratch? Why not enjoy? It's it's um, owning and running a business is hard work, so you, you might as well make it uh, a, a lifestyle factor if you can and enjoy what it can give you. Yeah, we we drive to Estelle in the morning and we try and get prime spotted on the Tullamore Freeway. And we didn't go much about the speed limit, but <laughs> it, was, it was good fun. Wow. Look, that's a it's it's a great story. I'm glad that um, I've been able to to be the one that gets it down on on tape. I guess you could say. Um, is 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 JB still alive? Is is he still around? Yes, he's there's a little holiday resort called Saint Leonard, which is over near Geelong. Oh wow! So you still talk to him? No, I haven't actually spoken to him for years. Um, he wasn't very really happy with us when we floated the business. Ah, oh, well, even after all that time that you owned it, he he wasn't happy yeah. that you were floating it. Yeah. Wow. Jeez, isn't that interesting? That uh, you know, mm. after all that time, the market conditions, and exactly like you said, that a lot of things get to a point where you um, you can't make them go any bigger unless you make that 
radical change. Uh, you know, otherwise you just mm. and, and the risk that you could have run is that someone was coming up behind you and overtook. That's right. So there was some big companies in. I'm trying to think, can't think of one of them at the moment, but it wasn't all brushes. They were a part of it. There's some big bulk stores, um, which a couple, a couple of them have been bought by Jody Hoffler. Of course, the good guys. Yep, yep. They're, they're quite a good operation. Terry Smart, XJB, done a great job with, with the good guys. And he's a very good operator, Terry. Uh, Harvey Norman's done exceptionally well, and the good guys is a big. Now I know it's with J, with JB, but it's um it's still a, you know it got to the point before it was with JB. It was still a big business on its own, right? That's right. And the murals have it, and uh, they probably good young there. JB's come along and bought that too. It's just the way of the world now, isn't it? Big corporate uh, takeovers. Yeah. Thank you. Firstly, thank you very much for for, for coming on. Um, and and the story. I'm I'm glad that I got the, you know, the how it happened. Um, on on tape because it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's a big big business. It's a you know it's a um I suppose an icon of Australian retail now. It's, it'd be remembered as just something like you know the Maya type um business. It's, it's such a big part of of everyday Australian um people. So, um, um, yeah, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much for listening. I know it wasn't great quality, particularly the first half, so I appreciate that you've managed to stick through it. Um, now, if you want to know any more about this episode, any other episodes that we have, you can head to bumpingintocomau there's, there'll be an episode page, plus all of the other shows that we have done if there's anything else you wanted to look at. I have one favour to ask. Uh, if you liked it or you think anyone else did like it, if you could please share it and if you could leave a five-star review. While I don't agree with it, it's the only way that this podcast will get recognised and pushed further up and given as suggestions to other people is based on the five-star review policy. So if you are in a position to stop and review it on your platform, but more importantly, share it. If you know someone that you think will like it, that's really the main thing that I care about. Thanks very much for listening. I will be working on a couple of other, I've got a little bit of a backlog at the moment, so I will be doing my best to get some other ones out to you a bit sooner, hopefully, than I normally do. But until then, you can check out the website uh, with more information and I will speak to you on the next one.